You were taking a weekend hike through the national park when the rain came down. It was a tempest, soaking you even as you sat underneath a tall conifer. But there was another sound hidden amongst the multitude of droplets of rain. It was a scream. Only a single moment later, you saw the face, a woman's face in the distance between the trees. As you stared at her, she never blinked, not even once during the next hour. You shivered, not from the cold, but because the thing with the woman's face was drawing closer. I hope you will enjoy these assorted, allegedly true scary stories with the relaxing and eerie sounds of rain. Don't forget to subscribe and click the notification bell to never miss another scary story. If you are subscribed, click that like button. Thank you. One, an unforgettable demonic face by Mike. It was June of 2001 when I was first hired as a campus security guard. After my training and orientation, I was put on patrol alone in my sector, looking after a section of empty dormitories. All the residential students and non-essential staff were gone until the start of the fall semester. It wasn't long before I found myself, alone on foot on the night shift from 7.45 p.m. to 3.45 a.m. The only thing I had that told me I wasn't absolutely alone on campus was the hourly radio check from dispatch. Around half past midnight, I couldn't shake this feeling that I was being watched. Every minute or so, I would stop, listen, and look around, but there would be no one there. Soon, I began to feel paranoid, so I sat on a bench to rest my feet. Still feeling watched, I looked all around the surrounding area, but again, there was nothing. Then I looked back at one of the dormitories, carefully scanning each window and door. As I looked around, my anxiety began to build, my heart began to race, and the summer heat began to get to me. And that was when I saw it, a face whose skin was an inhuman shade of red, I squinted my eyes, trying to get a closer look. Maybe it was a mask hanging from someone's window. But as I looked harder, I saw the skin around its mouth twist and contort, forming a wicked smile as the evil-looking face stared down at me, and then it pulled its face away from the window. I felt as though my heart would stop at any moment. I'm a large guy, 230 pounds, and this scared the living daylights out of me. When I got back to dispatch and finally calmed down, I soon realized what the face reminded me of. If you've ever seen the movie Insidious, it was similar to the face of the creature from there. These days, when I'm walking out at night, whether I'm on the job or not, I always feel like something or someone is watching me waiting to come out in the dark. Two, The Sturgeon Lake Creature by Ike Flame One. 
two summers ago, my dad and I were fishing at Sturgeon Lake, a small lake near our hometown. We were about to start the day fishing, and my dad was just pulling the boat up. I was about to jump inside the boat when the two of us heard an extremely loud splash about 50 yards away from us. When we looked, we saw large ripples coming from the center of the lake. Now, I can't stress this enough, but the lake isn't a very big one. But on occasion, we've seen people catch large 40 to 50 pound pike on this lake. So 15 year old me tries to think about it logically and labels it as such, nothing more than an abnormally large pike that's ripe for the catching. Once I get in our boat, my dad starts up the trolling motor and we go over to the far side of the lake. The fishing was great that day. You could pretty much catch a pickerel on every cast. By then, I'd nearly forgotten about the splash when it happened again. My dad had seen it this time, so he looked over at me with wide eyes and said, what was that? I said what I was thinking before, probably just a big pike. Yet my father shook his head, saying that whatever made that splash was definitely not a pike. We slowly drifted over there, and not two minutes later, I spotted a large silhouette slinking around just under the boat. But the oddest part was, it had hands, not human hands, but paddling bass with three fingers, kind of like an alligator. I pointed it out to my dad, and he immediately started up the engine. When we had made it back to shore, he asked me if I saw what he saw. I said, the shadow in the water, you mean? And he replied, no, that's not what spooked me. I asked him, what do you mean? Shakily, he replied to me, it came out of the water on my side of the boat. Its head was the shape of a saucer and it had eyes on the top of its head. The thing was a black and rusty orange coloration. Ever since then, we have not returned to that lake because there should be nothing that big in there. I've been trying to pinpoint what it could have been, but unlike the name of the lake suggests, there are no sturgeon there, so that rules sturgeon out. Besides, sturgeon have a pointed head like a shark, not a rounded one. The only thing I can think of that's even remotely similar to that description is a giant salamander, but I highly doubt there's ever been one so big. I think they only get to be up to four feet. And other than that, what would it be doing in the middle of the lake? I guess this mystery remains unsolved. Three, was it a flesh gate or a witch? By Giovanna D. I'm from the south of Brazil. I live in a region called the Emerald Coast, Santa Catarina State's shoreline, where the sea is pretty green and the weather is very cold by our standards. I wanted to share this story as it's been a long time since it happened and because our folklore here says it is a witch. Santa Catarina State is a place that got a lot of Portuguese immigration in the 1500s. Our state's capital, Florianopolis, 
was once called Destero, that means exile. During the Middle Age, Portugal used to exile women convicted of witchcraft here, and even to this day, the legends are very strong. This brings you to my story. I was around 19 years old. I was walking down the shoreline at night in Mariscal Beach. It is a very beautiful place and has a great touristic flux from November to February. Those are our summer months. I was walking with my then boyfriend, Dalton. Suddenly, something coming out from a garbage can caught my eye. Until today, I have no idea what the actual heck I saw. It was the size of a horse and had a huge head with a weird looking beak. Its head was like a giant bird's skull, but it was alive. It climbed out of the garbage can. My boyfriend and I froze for a moment and then ran like it was the devil itself. Until today, we used to tell the story as a joke, saying that it was the Cuca, the Brazilian boogeyman, which is said to appear as an alligator-woman hybrid. But for me, it was very real. And from what I've heard online, it more likely resembled a flesh gate. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I do know I never want to see it again. Four. The Bear by Alan. I'm from Romania, and I live in a small village in the western part of the country. I usually visit my grandparents there on weekends or holidays. It's a very nice place, full of nature and nice people. I often play outside with my cousin Gabriel, who is 13. We always enjoyed riding our bikes all day, through the village, or even going into the nearest city. It was great fun. There are a lot of forests there, a little further away from the village where we often go for a walk to get away from other things, to relax and play around. We really love the forest, and we spent our entire childhood there. As such, we have a lot of memories from those woods. To get to the forest, you have to travel a long road which goes through a vast field full of big hills and dense vegetation. And at some point on the road, you'll see a clearing which marks the entrance to the forest. From there, you'll be guided by an old dirt path through the entirety of the woods. But to get to that entrance, it's not as easy as it sounds. Along the road, you'll pass by three sheepfolds protected by big aggressive dogs which belong to the shepherds. But when the shepherds aren't around, the dogs are merciless, even to the smallest threat. When we go on that road, I always take my hunting knife with me, which my dad handed down to me after he came back from his military service. I always take a lighter and some firecrackers as well to try to scare the dogs away if need be. Anyway, on that day, we were ready to go to the woods to play. We passed the first sheepfold with ease and continued our journey until the next two sheepfolds. As expected, there were no shepherds and we didn't want to deal with the dogs, so we were about to turn back. But then, I had the idea to throw a firecracker in that direction, but that only angered the dogs more and two of them began to chase us. We bolted out of there but instead of heading back in the direction of our home, 
we continued our way to the forest, not looking back. The dogs were closing in now, so I took out my knife. I held the dogs back with it as we rode. Soon enough, the dogs gave up their chase, and we no longer heard them barking. We climbed off of our bikes to catch our breaths. Then we began to walk next to our bikes, going further toward the entrance of the forest. On one of the trees near the entrance, there is a sign that says, Danger, Bears. That sign is older than me, and I've never heard of anyone seeing bears out there, let alone wolves or deer in that forest. All I've ever seen, all anyone's ever seen, were trees and trees and more trees. It was a very chill place, only you and the sounds of nature. We always thought that this sign was there only to scare away the wood thieves or the people who illegally chopped down trees, so we didn't pay much attention to it. Though my grandma did warn me several times before that the nearby sheepfolds used to be attacked by bears or wolves. But as I said, we never saw anything dangerous in that forest, so we thought it was just a fairy tale. We left our bikes at the entrance of the woods and cut to the dirt path, going straight into the middle of the forest. My cousin brought a few pieces of cloth, which we tied to some sticks to mark our way so that we could find the road with ease. We spent what felt like hours just walking around and taking photos of the beautiful scenery around us and not caring about anything else. We harvested sticks and moss and began to build ourselves a small shelter just to test our fake survival skills. We had a lot of fun, but the sun was beginning to set and we decided it was time to head back to the road. We were almost there. We could see the road and when we were about to call it a day, we heard the sound, the most horrifying sound, which instantly filled both of us with an overwhelming feeling of dread. When we looked back, we saw it. A large bear was running right at us. We couldn't move. I know you're not supposed to run from a predator, but after a few moments, the adrenaline pushed us and instinctively, our feet moved as fast as they would carry us. We left our bikes where they were, and we bolted, but the bear was still following us quickly. When we approached the two sheepfolds, the dogs were still angry, and they were coming after us too. We were not fast enough to outrun the beasts, so we thought that that would be the end. Then, by some miracle, the dogs saw the bear as the larger threat, and they began to turn on it, trying to scare the animal away, giving us just enough time to run. We were rushing through the field like some madmen and never looked back, not until we made it to the entrance of the village. There, we were so exhausted and scared, we were basically paralyzed. My heart was racing faster than ever, and my skin must have been a ghostly white. My cousin blacked out. When I shook him awake, I saw that his eyes were full of emptiness. I helped him get up, and we continued further into the village, back to safe ground. I helped my cousin go home. Later that night, when the two of us were texting about it, we agreed that that would be the last time we ever tried to step foot into that forest. Five, even in the light,
by side mare. I've lived in my small one-bedroom apartment for years now, ever since I was 16. I've always lived alone, with a few exceptions of friends or girlfriends that have stayed with me. I'm in a relationship now, but she's always studying abroad, so I'm completely alone at my apartment for the moment. I should also mention that I work overnight security, and I have for years. I usually get off work at seven in the morning. Sometimes I stay up until noon or even later. Sometimes I go home and fall asleep right away. My bedroom is pretty big, big enough that I keep a sheet hung up to block out part of the room. I keep the window sealed up so no light can bother me during the day, which is when I sleep. Recently, there have been a string of incidents. I will tell you of the most terrifying one. I got home at seven as usual. I stayed up until around eight or nine. Then I went to bed. My room is usually pitch black day or night. I woke up feeling a bit odd though. Out of habit, I've been and still do leave my phone charging, kind of under my bed. So I reached under my bed to grab my phone. And when I did, something happened. Another hand lightly brushed against mine. I wasn't originally freaked out, thinking I was still waking up. I decided to forget my phone and tried to go back to sleep. Now I should mention, I have a standing fan next to the other side of my bed, as I like it a bit colder. I decided to turn on my other side to get comfortable. I immediately noticed my fan wasn't there. It's strange how my mind noticed that first, the absence of the fan, rather than the girl that was now standing there, wearing a white dress. She was tattered and dirty, and she looked to be nine or ten years old, her body rotting. I could see bones pushing through the skin, her eyes red as fire. Her smile wasn't right. It didn't look ordinary at all, and I could sense some malicious intent behind it. The shock of it finally woke me straight up, because in one moment she was there, and the next, it was pitch black darkness again. Seconds later, I could hear the sound of my fan blowing air on me once more, and I realized that maybe I was just dreaming. I was relieved for a moment, and I began to calm down, letting out a sigh of relief. But then I saw it again, a quick flash, a figure running from the side of my room, from the side that was covered, over to my door. Then they quickly opened it and left, shutting the door on their way out. I got up and checked my door. It was locked, and so were my windows. So who or what it was and how they got inside, I don't think I'll ever know. Here's some advice, though. Even if it's daylight, even when the sun is out shining bright, if there is darkness somewhere, there will be things hiding inside. Six, Devon by Mary. My idea of stalkers has always been people who follow you, watch your every move and nothing more but I've recently learned just how very wrong that idea was. 
It was a typical weekend and I was in my room on my phone. I decided to get on Omegle. Omegle is a place where you can meet and talk to random people. On phones, you can only text other people on the app. I began talking to people, skipping around until I landed on this person named Devin. I began the conversation with a typical, hi, how are you? Devin typed back something like, good, and you? And we started talking. I found him to be really similar to myself. By the end of the night, he had asked for my number, and I reluctantly gave it to him. That was a bad idea. After that, we began messaging on iMessage, and I asked him for his Instagram. He said, I don't have one, but I do have a Musical.ly. He gave me his Musical.ly, and I checked it to make sure he was a kid, not some 40-year-old creep. He did seem around my age, pretty normal, so I gave him mine. Again, another terrible decision. The first red flag was the fact that the second I accepted his follow request, he started liking every single Musical.ly that I had made. I had about 50 of them, so that means he took the time to immediately scroll through every one. I didn't find this weird at first. I simply thought he wanted to be my friend. The next morning, he texted me at about 7 a.m. It said, So, do you have a boyfriend? I was single at the time, and I had no reason to lie to him, so I said, No, I don't. How about you? I wasn't on to him. I was just curious. He typed back, No, I'm single as well. The next day, I was on my phone watching YouTube when I got a text from Devin. He again asked if I had a boyfriend. I texted him back the same answer, and I even reminded him that he had already asked me that. After I answered, though, he never texted back. Not until about 20 minutes later when he said, Hey, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He took a moment to type back, and when he did, he said, Would you go out with me? My stomach was tied in a knot. I hadn't even known this guy for a week, and he was already asking me to be his girlfriend. I had to let him down softly, and I pointed out the fact that we live in two parts of the country, and we wouldn't be able to date. He mentioned earlier that he lived in Alabama, and I was in Massachusetts. He immediately responded with, We could Skype and FaceTime. I didn't reply for a moment, so he sent another message, saying, we don't have to if you don't want to. It made me feel guilty, and I didn't want to hurt him, so I did the stupidest thing ever. I said that I would go out with him. I went to bed later that night, and when I woke up, my phone was going crazy. I had hundreds of notifications. I checked my Musical.ly first, and he had commented on my posts, one of them saying, hottest one. I should tell you that I am 12 years old, and I wasn't accustomed to being called hot like that, so it made me feel uncomfortable. I deleted the comment, thinking that that would send the message to him, but it didn't. He kept going with stuff like this all the time, every part of the day. I tried to put up with it for as long as I could, but I had my breaking point, particularly when I found out that the stuff on his Musical.ly and the images I saw had been ripped off of someone else's account. I confronted Devin about it, 
I asked him who he really was. When he didn't answer, I blocked him on everything. When he realized he couldn't comment on my musically, he made a video. The video of just him on his bed, saying that he wanted everyone to follow his girlfriend, me, on musically. When I saw it, my breath was taken away from me. Because it wasn't the guy I'd seen before in his musically. Rather, it was a man with glasses, a greasy beard, who appeared to be in his early 50s or late 40s. I basically dropped my phone before picking it back up and telling him that if he ever talked to me again, I would tell my parents and the police. Just like that, he was gone, and I haven't heard from him since. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Seven, The Two Kids by Cat Ratch. A few years ago, the exact dates are blurry here, my class and I went on a week-long trip. We were meant to camp outside, and I was really, really hyped about it. But let's just say that I didn't have any fun that week. On the first day, due to a lot of teasing and bullying, I ended up throwing a hot dog at a guy from my class. To be fair, he was making fun of me constantly, and he was beginning to get physical. Other than that, at times when I walked alone on the gravel road to fetch water or something similar, I would hear footsteps walking next to me or behind me. Other times I'd hear voices, my classmates' voices, calling my name from the beach, even though they weren't there. I would hear them talking and calling my name, despite the very voices I'd hear were coming from people I'd just seen back at the camp. It wasn't only me this happened to. It also happened to my friend Sarah and another girl from my class. It was a bit disturbing, but it wasn't the worst. On the second or third day, we spent the day fishing. I had a guy friend at the time named Dan. Me, Sarah, and Dan hung around a cliff. As I sat on the cliffside, I looked behind me to see a young girl. She looked dirty and beaten, and when Dan and Sarah turned around, 
they never saw her, or they couldn't see her. As I confronted them about not seeing this girl, they all got creeped out, and we decided to back off and get away from the cliff's edge. I would begin to see this girl for the rest of that day. At any moment after that, I felt watched. I never felt alone at any point. I tried to ignore her presence, and this seemed to irritate her. That next day, though, there was no girl anymore. Rather, what was following me around seemed to be a young boy. Again, no one saw him but me. He seemed to be six years old, and he would only stand in doorways and block the exits to rooms I was in. It was odd and very creepy. At one point, I began to panic at this, considering he was blocking the only exit I could go through, and I didn't want to approach or even acknowledge his existence. So I had a panic attack, my stomach tying itself in multiple knots. When I looked at the boy again, he looked angry and serious, something you would never see on a six-year-old's face. One moment after I blinked, he was gone. I didn't see him again, nor did I ever see the girl again. For the rest of the trip, I couldn't help but think that something very, very bad happened here. Eight, The Silhouette by N. Carter Woods. When I was 12, I went to a summer camp that was five weeks long. During the second week was when things began to go downright creepy. It all started while many of the kids were canoeing on the lake. It was getting dark. I was sitting on the shore with my friend Jordan. We weren't allowed to make a fire, so we had some very bright flashlights with us. Jordan was shining his on the trees, trying to creep me out. Obviously, it didn't work. Not until I actually saw a glimpse of a dark silhouette of a large man in the trees. I sat there for a moment before the two of us looked at each other and bolted right back to the cabins. He kept telling me it was probably an animal or my eyes playing tricks on me, but I knew that wasn't it. The next morning, I tried to forget about it, but I couldn't. I just went on with my day when the sun started going down, all the kids at the camp were making s'mores and hot dogs. I was roasting a hot dog next to Jordan when I saw it again, the silhouette in the trees. Without realizing it, I had dropped my hot dog in the fire. I ignored it and looked at Jordan. I gave him a nudge in the direction of the silhouette. By the time we looked back, it was gone. I told a counselor what happened but he and Jordan both said I was just imagining it. Fast forward a week later, Jordan, my friend Chris, and I were in a group together for survival night, which is when a group of three boys go into the woods with nothing except a few knives and sleeping bags for two nights. Chris and Jordan were trying to get a fire going. I was collecting firewood and searching for dinner. About a good half hour later, Jordan found a bird to cook, which wasn't the best, but we gobbled it down. That night, we were supposed to be asleep, but I was left there lying on the ground, unable to keep my mind off the silhouette I'd been seeing. 
It was, of course, around that time when I began to hear footsteps coming from about 10 feet away. They drew closer, and when they were about two feet away from me, I was too scared to move. But I looked up, and there he or it was. All I could think to do, if I was even thinking at all still, was to sit there staring at it. I wanted to grab my camera to take a picture or video of it, but still, I was too afraid to move. I was frozen solid. I quietly whispered to Chris because he was closest to me and told him there was something watching us. That was when he saw it too. In turn, he woke up Jordan quietly and covered his mouth, and then he pointed to the silhouette. All three of us now were all frozen in fear, staring at this thing amidst us. After about seven or so minutes of sitting and staring, I worked up the courage to reach for the camera. When I looked back, the silhouette was gone, as if it had just disappeared. Jordan, being the daredevil he was, ran in the direction it had apparently disappeared into, and Chris followed suit. I didn't really plan on sitting alone in the now deserted campsite, so I quickly put my shoes on and tried to catch up to Chris and Jordan. When I did catch up to them, they signaled me to stay still, and I soon realized why. About 12 feet away from us, there was a cabin. Not one of the camp's cabins, rather a man-made cabin out in the middle of nowhere. It appeared to be old and broken down, and the door was nearly off its hinges. There were steps on the porch, and three out of five of them were broken. In the window, we could see cobwebs, and then we saw movement, a silhouette moving around in the cabin. I think whoever it was saw that we were there and moved away from the window. Our minds told us to go inside, but our bodies would not allow it. After about 20 minutes, Jordan started to walk up to the cabin. I followed him, and so did Chris. The place immediately reeked. It smelled as if plenty of things were rotting there. We looked around, and there were seven camp t-shirts, four of which were in a fire pit that looked like it hadn't been used in years. Chris and I approached the old broken mirror that had letters on it, but they were in some weird language. Either that or it was a strange, nonsensical drawing. We continued to look around inside the cabin when we found a trap door hidden under a rug. We opened it, expecting to see a basement level of the place, but we immediately shut it, screaming out in horror. What we'd seen was a crawl space, the underside of the cabin, and in it were dozens of bones. Not whole skeletons, just bones scattered across the ground. When we got up and approached the door, the silhouette was there, standing like a wisp in the doorway. We stood frozen, but the silhouette wasn't frozen like we were for long. It began to approach us. It began to whisper, yet the whispering it made seemed to come from miles away. Suddenly, there was a crash. Chris threw something through the window and broke it. The three of us climbed out of it carefully. We tried to find our way out of the woods. We eventually did, 
but we kept tripping and running into things and screaming. We made it back to the summer camp and looked for the nearest counselor we could find. When we did, we yelled and ran towards him, and he looked at us like we were being overly arrogant and told us to go back into the woods. Jordan yelled at him, so he would listen to us, and we told the counselor what had happened. He stared blankly for a moment, then he ran to find the other counselors and told all the kids to go to their cabins and make sure nobody goes out. Soon after, we saw police cars, and a bunch of officers were out of their vehicles searching around the place. A while later, a counselor came to us and asked us where we found the cabin. As it was difficult to explain, we had to leave them there. We found where the cabin was, but it was completely different. It was ruins. The place looked abandoned now, and as if it was a hundred years older than when we had found it. When we went inside, the mirror was gone. We showed the police the trap door, and they searched it, but they found nothing there. Well, except for one single bone, which turned out to be a raccoon bone. We got in a lot of trouble over that, but most of the adults could understand how scary that would be, so we weren't kicked out of camp or anything like that. We never found that cabin again, and we didn't hear anything more of it. But what I did find odd was that the next summer, and permanently after that, the summer camp was closed for reasons I never learned. I'm convinced that they found more in that cabin than they're letting on, and they just didn't want to scare the kids that had attended that camp. Nine, Creepy Stalker by Samantha B. When I was in high school, I spent a lot of time at my best friend's place. She lived sort of out in the country. There were a few houses nearby, but not a lot of neighbors. We used to spend our time walking up and down the road she lived on, as there wasn't much traffic there, and it got us outside. We were night owls and often could be found after dark wandering the road, telling each other creepy stories, trying to scare one another. One night, we were about 10 minutes away from our house when we heard a strange banging sound coming from just up the hillside near an abandoned chicken house. We kept walking, not phased as her neighbors were known for doing odd projects at all hours of the night and they were just as accustomed to us walking the road at late hours. It was just a few more yards up the road when we saw him come into view. There was a man standing off just to the side of the road, holding a shovel. He was hitting it against the pavement, just staring at us with this weird and insane grin. We didn't walk any closer. Instead, we slowly turned away and began to make our way back to her house thinking surely he wouldn't follow. For five minutes we walked, talking quietly about what he could have possibly been doing, but then we heard it, the sound of steps in the leaves on the roadside. Casey glanced over her shoulder and grabbed my arm, pulling me forward as she broke into a run. He's following us, she frantically whispered to me as I matched her pace. The footsteps didn't come any faster, they just seemed to fade into the background as we raced toward her driveway. 
We made it up the porch steps and into the house to find her mom on the phone. We spilled out everything to her, and Casey's mom repeated our story to Casey's dad, who was on the other end of the call. Her dad worked nights then, which is why he wasn't there. He told us to lock the doors tight and to stay calm. Crazy neighbors weren't unusual, and the man in question had probably lost interest in us since we were in the house now. That was her father's reasoning. He also asked if we were sure it wasn't a kid or someone playing a joke. A few hours passed, and we soon forgot about the whole thing. I mean, it had been pretty silly to get so scared, right? We laid in the floor watching a movie while Casey's mom worked on the computer nearby. Suddenly, she began to scold us. Girls, stop, that's enough, she said. Confused, we looked over at her. After all, we were just lying on the floor, quiet. My eyes saw what she was talking about before she could even say anything else. There was a laser light on the wall. I looked at Casey, who by this time had seen it too. She said to her mother, That's not us, Mom. Casey's mom had already realized this as we followed the origin of the laser. Our gazes landed on the window. The curtains were just far enough apart for some light from the porch to peek through, and there he stood, the man from earlier with his wicked grin, leering at us and pointing a laser flashlight in the window. I remember screaming louder than I thought even possible as Casey's mom yelled at us to get into the bathroom. She called the police, and we sat there in the windowless room panicking, waiting for something else, something worse, to happen. It felt like an eternity before the police arrived to find only footprints that someone had been there. Casey's parents still live in that house, although these days they have security lights and cameras up. The police never saw or found the night stalker, but even all these years later, I still wonder about that night. Who was he? Did he know Casey's family? Did we surprise him, or was he looking for us? Was it all a joke, or did he in fact want to hurt us? Ten, The Unknown Number by Randy I live in a small town in Canada. This took place in the summer of 2016. We live in a valley, and we have houses in the valley and houses on top of it. I was hanging out with friends one day. There were four of us, including me. My friend kept getting texts from an unknown number, threatening that they would hurt her. So we all went over to another friend's house, and she made sure that every door was locked. One of the texts read, Lock the door, hide, or your face is going to be beat in. So we were flipping out, basically all crying, because whoever this person was, unknown number or not, they knew that we had gone to another place, so they were following us, and they were close by. We tried desperately to figure out who it was, but we never found out. By 4 a.m., we had calmed down, but were still scared out of our minds. When we finally felt safe enough to drift off to sleep, a pounding at the front door woke us up. We all freaked out again, 
all of us assuming it was the person who was texting from the unknown number. We all stayed quiet and tried to wait it out, but the banging continued. It only stopped when we got another text from the number. It said, I know you're awake. I know who you're with in there. The text then listed all of our names. We were all horrified. Suddenly, the friend's brother, whose house we were over at, walked out of his room and came to ours. He tiredly asked us what that knocking was all about. We told him we didn't know, but we didn't think it'd be a good idea to answer it. So he simply went back to his room to go back to bed, but the messages continued. One of them had an image attachment to it, and when we saw it, we were petrified. It came from the window and showed all of us huddled together around our friend with the phone, and it showed that friend's brother from when he woke up and came to our room. Someone was watching us, and they were just outside, creeping around. Luckily, that was the end of it. There were no more texts or pictures after that. After a week, we all felt safe and normal again, until we saw the news. A local kid had gone missing, and the only clue police had to go on was the missing kid's phone, and most notably, a string of text messages coming from an unknown number. Now, to this day, whenever a private or unknown number calls me or texts me, I always think of that psycho. I'm still traumatized, and I pray that it was all a very dangerous joke. The sounds of rain can be relaxing. It can be peaceful. It can help you fall asleep. But you mustn't forget that the sounds of a rainstorm can mask the sounds of danger that lurk nearby. The next time you're in bed and a thunderstorm rolls in, you might want to focus more clearly on the sounds you hear around you because that's when things come out and they use the sounds of rain as cover. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget, you can send me your true scary stories at darknessprevails.org submit. If you want to support this channel and get your name in the credits at the end of the videos, go to patreon.com darknessprevails and donate at least $1 a month. Or you can download my free app Spooked from the Google Play Store to get all my content in one place. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about 10 creepy basement stories. Scar Gang says, going on a road trip and downloading all your videos. One, I hope you have enough space for all that. And two, the beauty of YouTube Red. Thank you. Romeo Denar says, I'm the first one. I dug myself out of my basement with a spoon for this. You were almost first, but it brings me nothing but joy to see people like you tunneling their ways back to the nightmare world. Katie Grindstaff says, Dang it, I want to not be driving when notified so I can be one of the first commenters. Well, today's your lucky day, because I don't want you getting into a wreck on my account. Tanner Bruning says, Are enough becoming an ASMR Chanel? No, we're not becoming an ASMR channel. 
We're just enjoying some gorgeous sounds and creepy stories. Now, feel free to call me out when I start licking the microphone trying to give my viewers a good chub. And Alexandra Apocalypse says, my bedroom is in the basement, so does that make me horrifying? Well, Alexandra, that makes you one of two things, either lucky to be alive, or you're the thing in the basement that everyone is afraid of. Anyways, everyone, thank you so much for stopping by to another Darkness Prevails video. More scary stories are coming soon, so stay tuned. Here are the credits to my faithful and amazing patrons who continue to donate. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy.